Hello, everyone, and welcome to this brand new episode of the Provcast. My name is Court, and I am your host and one of the pastors at Providence Community Church. Today's episode is a conversation with Eric Rokel, who's a friend of mine and also an elder candidate at Providence Community Church. Uh, every time we get a new elder candidate uh, that's introduced to to us at Providence, we try to get them on the Provcast, get a chance to talk with them in the hopes that some of our members uh, who may not run in the same circles may not be uh, able to get to know some of our elder candidates uh, too intimately. They can get to know them through uh, through the Provcast a little bit. And so, Eric, welcome to the Provcast. We're glad to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So tell uh, the people who may not know you, maybe don't, uh, I guess, get to talk to you as much, a little bit about you, who you are, where you, where'd you grow up? How'd you come to know Jesus? You know, your family, you got two wonderful kiddos and, uh, and your wife. Yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So um, I, did, I was born here in Humble, um, and I grew up here in the school system. Um, I went to Creekwood Middle School for a year, and then my parents ended up divorcing, and uh, my mom moved us out to uh, the hill country, like in the middle, middle of nowhere almost, if you're familiar with Lakey, Rock Springs, like Garner State Park out there, but a town of 800 people, so like really, really small. Sounds great. Yes, it was really cool. Um, and so I lived out there for a while. Um, and then I, you know, went to the Baptist church there as one does in a church in a town of 800 and, uh, went to a, like a youth summer camp and gave my life to Jesus at summer camp. Um, very cool. How old were you? I was, mm, I was in middle school, so like 13 maybe. Nice. The ripe age of 13. Yes, the ripe age of 13. And my life really didn't change then, so take that as it were. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, And then my mom ended up remarrying when we were living out there, and my stepdad, um, they, my mom and my uh, former stepdad, they're not married anymore, um, they, they used to go to high school together. That's how they knew each other. But my stepdad lived in Montana at the time. And so... Um, when they remarried, um, I ended up moving to Montana to finish high school because I was in Camp Wood until um, I was a sophomore in high school. So I ended up, I finished high school and then went to college up in Montana. And about my fifth year of college, because I was on the seven-year undergrad plan. Nice. Yeah, it was great. And uh, so... that's like slightly better than mine, though. What's that? I think that's slightly better than me. Nice. I had to, I had to take a couple semesters off, Nice. pay for, pay for some stuff. And yeah, it was good. But like, uh, year, it was year four or five. Um, like my life was really kind of going spiraling down the toilet. And I, I remember waking up and going, what am I doing? And I think that was the moment that everything like, you know, Christ pulled the veil. It was like, this is it. This yeah. is what you need. And so I basically, packed up my apartment because uh, it was in the late spring so school was almost over so I packed up my apartment I finished the semester I was in my Subaru wagon and I had my cat why does that not surprise you <laughs> I do have a shirt that you've probably seen me wear that has a Subaru wagon on it from from our old church but anyway did they give you like I just have to know the sandals were those given free by Subaru <laughs> they, they, I feel like those were a gift when you bought the car they weren't <laughs> Um, so, uh, anyway, so I, uh, my mom had, 
moved around, but ended up back in Uvalde, Texas at the time. And so um, I went and moved in with my mom, who was teaching survival swim all over the state. So I was basically house sitting for her for the summer. And I went back to, it wasn't the same Baptist church, but it was in a neighboring town, like one of the Baptist churches that I attended. And like, basically what I thought at the time was recommitting myself to Christ. But I think it was for real committing myself to Christ for the first time, truly. Um, and then shortly after that, um, whenever I was, de- uh, whenever I was living at my mom's house in Uvalde, um, I connected with Jessica, my wife or to my to be wife at the time. And then I moved back up to Missoula to finish college. Um, ended up marrying my wife and, um, just, we've gone back and forth between Texas and Montana a couple of times, just because band directing doesn't pay a whole lot up in Montana. So when I first graduated, we moved to Texas so I could get paid a living wage to start. And then, uh, I got a job offer at a, in the town that my wife was from and that I went to college. And so we moved back up there during that time, uh, for three years and tried to make it work and it wasn't really working. And so we decided to move back. And so we've so been, you, you, okay. So tell me about band directing, you know, you, when did you, were you always a musician or did that, was that always kind of the, the main focus of college for you was, Hey, I want to do this. This is what I want to do with uh, my vocation or what was that all about? Yeah. So I grew up, my dad listened to a lot of Phil Collins, Genesis, um, a lot of those, guys and so my I was, son loves phil collins yes he asked me to listen to it every morning i yes. kid you not that's amazing so he's he's destined to be a Call, drummer calls it the drum song yes in the air tonight yes yes <laughs> it's amazing and so it was stuff like that that i grew up listening to and um so whenever it came to sixth grade and my mom was like hey you should be in band what do you want to play i was like <laughs> is that a question <laughs> yeah and um, I remember because I was, you know, I went to Creekwind and I did the little drum audition and because, you know, everybody wants to be a drummer and they were going to take 10. And out of those 10, I was the 10th one. That's right. Tom Brady of drums. Yes. In Creekwood. Exactly. And so like I snuck in there to the point where they were like, hey, you know, you should probably think about what else you might want to play. Like that was the conversation they were happy with. <laughs> They're trying to pawn off the clarinet on you. Or the flute. It was a French horn there actually. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And so anyway, so ever since then, and then, and so when my parents split up and I moved out to uh, the Hill country and I started doing marching band out there cause that, cause it was a, such a small town that their, their varsity band was seven through 12. And so I started marching in seventh grade. And once that started happening, I was like, this is what I want to do forever. And so from that, from middle school onward, I was like, I'm going to do band. That's awesome. Yeah. And so when you went to college, you kind of knew that? Like, yes. Okay, this is what I'm going to do? Yes, that was the goal from middle school onward. It's like almost be... unheard of, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, most people are like, what are you going to do? I'm going to go to college. Well, <laughs> what are you going to do, though? Yeah, yeah. The plan only it ends at college. Right. Yeah. And then you figure okay. it I out. I go to college. Well, th- and then what? Right now. <laughs> I knew, uh, like, I was going to music school, and, like, ultimately that's what uh, led me to, instead of coming back to Texas for college, uh, the, uni- the University of Montana had a really good music education program. Um, and the percussion professor there um, uh, got his doctorate from University of North Texas and was giving a lot of diverse um, experiences for undergrads. And so it was actually a really awesome experience. That's really cool. Did you, How long was it when you first got into the church before someone was like, hey, you play drums? Like, was that pretty much regular for you? Just going to, hey, I'm, I'm going to serve in the worship band? Cause yeah. 
I play drums. Yeah. And so it was, it started whenever I was in the small town. It was like, we moved to the small town. I started playing drums and, you know, everybody knows everybody. So, you know, once I start going to the Baptist church, everybody's there. They're like, Hey, you play drums, come to youth group and play drums. And so, okay. And so I'd go and play drums and that's where it started. That's awesome. Yeah, man. That always happens. Yeah. First, when I first came to know the Lord, first of all, just anywhere you ask you to serve, I'm like, okay, I'll serve there. So, you know, when they find out that I played with like guitar. Can you play bass too? I'm like, probably. <laughs> it's got less strings, so a, it's got to be less pr- hard. Pretty right? sure I can figure it out. No offense, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> totally, he's offended right now. <laughs> so, okay, you've been at Providence for a while now, but you know when you were in uh, Missoula the last time before you guys moved back down, mm-hmm. you were a part of a church and actually yeah. joined, or you were right about to join a pastoral training program there that you ended up still being a part of, but had to do a lot of it more uh, virtual because you're moving down here. So, you know, this is not the first time that you felt like the Lord was calling you to pastoral ministry. And then, you know, you actually had felt that call there. So what was that like? And what was your training like there? Yeah. So um, the, the lead teaching pastor there at Sovereign Hope Church uh, in Missoula um, sat me down. We went and had pizza and, uh, he was talking to me all about all the good things happen. I know pizza. And it was like, and the, like uh, Missoula does lots of like really weird things. Well, right. I guess they're not really weird. They're just really niche. So like they do coffee really well. They do beer really well. And like, there's some like hole in the wall pizza places that are just really good. That's awesome. So we were sitting in one of those. They also do beauty in landscape really well. Well, that's not their fault. I believe that's the creator's <laughs> fault, but yes, that, that is, that is good there. Yes. Um, so he sits me down and he, and the, I think the thing was, he knew at this point that I was moving. I had voiced that already and kind of told the church, Hey, like, you know, we're, we're going to be moving back. It's not really financially viable for us to continue living here. And, um, you know, he sat me down he was like, look, I know you're moving. Uh, but whenever, and it was like the first time they were launching this program and he was like, I really kind of had you in mind and a couple of other guys in mind whenever we were going to launch this, you know, the idea was a pastoral residency. So technically I was supposed to be there. This was the unresidency. Yes. <laughs> mine was the unresidency. And so I, you know, I was basically allowed to participate remote, which worked out great because like halfway through it is when COVID happened. So we were all remote anyway. So <laughs> Uh, but, um, kind of the idea was that, um, the same kind of idea with our pastor's cohort is that, um, you know, elders and other leaders in the church kind of see these guys who have these leadership qualities. It's a way for them to kind of like peer behind the curtain and kind of look at eldership and what it really is and what pastoring really is. Um, and like, and, and look at the theology behind it and study what God actually has to say about eldership. And how to apply that, uh, you know, without actually obviously becoming an elder. And so um, that was kind of my first taste of it. And like being invited into that, being like, hey, we see these qualities in you. We think you ought to at least look into it and and then see where God calls you. And so at the end of that, um, I was definitely uh, on the road to, I felt God was calling me to the road to eldership. I just didn't know when. Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, sometimes it's First uh, Timothy three says he who desires mm-hmm. the task of, of overseer or elder desires a noble task, 
meaning that there's you know a desire that that's that needs to be present there right and then also oftentimes what you'll find is that people well guys especially need other guys to say hey mm-hmm. see this in you you know i i see that the, the you know there's these gifts that god's given you have you seen those things and right. something about those like somebody coming along and affirming those that i think maybe pique some people's interest or maybe uncovers maybe the desire was always there usually it was but maybe right. it lies dormant because i'm maybe mm-hmm. i'm not that guy did you yeah. have that in your experience or I think so. Like I did have a, an experience whenever I was really young and married. Um, we were actually here in Houston attending a different church and I approached the, uh, the pastor. There was only one at the time. And I was like, Hey, I think I want to be an elder. He was like, he, his answer was basically, eh, let's wait. <laughs> the, Lord, it's like, hmm, the Lord hasn't spoken to me right. this way. <laughs> exactly. And so <laughs> basically I'd taken that as to, well, I guess that door shut and like moved on. Big gulps, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, see you later. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it kind of started earlier in my Christian walk. It just never was, like you said, nobody had ever like drawn that out of me. I, I kind of confessed it to somebody and they were like, mm, probably not. And then. That was it. <laughs> Which is kind of brutal. <laughs> it is. It was. It's like, the, it's like the 101 of, hey, if somebody like throws themselves out there, like the answer should not be, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then again, it's a, you know, all the, the Lord uses all of those things. For I sure. Think. 100%. Far, right? So one of the ministries that you and your wife, Jessica, um, are involved in at Providence is Soul Care, uh-huh. counseling ministry at the church. Mm-hmm. When did that come up as something that you were interested in? Um, obviously, wife's very gifted at it as well. Yes. Um. Has, when did that come on the radar for you? And so I think all of this actually stems from my wife and her her degrees in communication. And so she's a, she's a highly skilled communicator and reader of people. And so just in her way of dealing with people has always been this digging, right? Kind of like uh, what Proverbs talks about, the, the wise man, like pulling the water out of somebody's heart, right? It's, it's a deep well. And she's always been very gifted at that, um, which is both awesome and incredibly frustrating as a husband. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, so I think it really started with her. I have to give her credit there because um, she kind of, that was kind of a natural bent for her. And in our church in Montana, there was actually a biblical, biblical counselor on staff. He was one of the elders and he's still our mentor. Uh, we still talk to him from time to time. Um, and, um, he seeing that in my wife kind of brought her and a few other people under his wing and started kind of training him, like giving them these ideas of like, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think? Well, the Bible says this, what do you think about this? And kind of like giving them like planting these seeds of biblical counseling and being a counselor in this idea of, um, counseling people with the Bible. And, um, simultaneously I was going through kind of a discipleship curriculum with the worship pastor at the time. And, um, and, uh, this pastor, that's our mentor kind of helped shape that too. Cause counseling and discipleship are really closely linked, right? Yeah. I actually wanted to get into that. So let me first say, maybe you can, for anybody who's listening, what's the difference between somebody says they need counseling What's the difference between biblical counseling and let's say you just go and get marriage and family counseling or, you know, therapy or, you know, what is the significance of, because at, at Providence, for instance, all of our elders, anytime someone comes to us and says, 
I'm looking for counseling. We make the case for biblical counseling, but there might be a lot of people that are listening that are like, yeah, I get it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Christian, Christian people counsel. Like what's the difference? Right. So I think, um, like the, the basic foundational thing that most people would agree on, right. is kind of what Jay Adams kind of the, I guess the quote unquote father of biblical counseling would say is that, um, kind of the reason why he started the biblical counseling movement or why he started doing the things that he was doing was because the counts, the kinds of counseling and therapy that people were getting at the time was only affirming and it was only allowing people to get out what was in their head and it didn't give them any guidance on what to do. Um, it's funny you say that cause I was watching, a. Uh... Last night with our kids, we always watch Christmas movies, you know, around uh-huh. the time. We get, we start way too early. We're that family. Like <laughs> um, Jonas loves it. Jane loves nice. it. So we were watching, and Tim Allen's the Santa Claus. <laughs> there's this scene where his, uh, you know, he's, he's divorced from his from his wife. His wife's getting remarried, and the, the guy's a psychiatrist. Right. And so the kid is, uh, like, talking all about his, uh, his new stepdad, and he says, you know, I, I think his name's Neil, and he looks yeah, at Neil. Tim Allen and says, Neil listens to me. And Tim Allen says, yeah, and then you pay him for it. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's just, I was cracking up laughing because I thought, okay, like the, the modern counseling movement, what a lot of people don't understand is it, it, when you just say, hey, I'm going to get some counseling, um, the question has to be, well, what, what's the basis that forms that counseling method? Because there's right. a many different counseling methods that people aren't familiar with that. So there's people that may start at Freud, and right. therefore that's where you're going to get a lot of, mm-hmm. hey, let's talk about you know, famous joke, like you want to talk about your dad. Yeah, you know, like that's exactly. That, you're going to talk Freud or, you know, cognitive behavioral yep. therapy or, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like there's, the, there's no real neutral world in counseling. You have a baseline worldview that you're working from. Yes. One of those is like you just mentioned, just kind of like, Hey, come vent. Right. And, and that will be enough to kind of pressure release valve. You don't have anybody to talk to. I'll be that person you talk to, but that's not what biblical counseling is. Right. And so biblical counseling comes at it from, well, you know, you're, struggling with something and that something is most likely from a functional unbelief of God somewhere and therefore a functional idol somewhere that you're just blind to or you're not willing to acknowledge yet. And so um, Jay Adams calls it neuthetic counseling. And so he refers to a lot of Paul's letters where he talks about Paul presents the gospel, he calls people out and then he tells them how to fix it. Right. And so um, that's, that's kind of the basis, the baseline for biblical counseling is we use God's word to, you know, guide you into what to do next as far as, you know, giving you direction. So it's like, you're telling us, you know, maybe what you're struggling with and, you know, it's my job as a counselor, not just to be like, well, that sucks. This is what you need to do to fix it. Right. We want to sympathize and, and be people, but also, you know, be directing people in a direction that's toward Christ um, because ultimately Christ can heal them of all things and will, whether on this side of heaven or the other. Yeah. And I think it, the reason it's important is lots of therapy, modern day therapy, uh, and especially coupled with modern ideology, maybe better to say postmodern ideology says something like all of our problems are external factors that have, you know, Yes. You know, impose themselves upon us. So you were born into a family that, you know, is maybe dysfunctional and therefore that's why you behave the way that you behave or um, you were treated a specific way. You have abuse, trauma, all these things in your past, which I think there's there's no um, it's not a short list to say you could read through the Bible and there's plenty of that. And it's not that Christ is 
an unsympathetic character. It's in fact, the exact opposite. Hebrews tells us he's a sympathetic high priest. Mm -hmm. Those things do affect us, but the Bible doesn't give us the indication that external factors are our primary problem. Right. And that's why it's so insidious to say the primary thing you need to focus on uh, with behaviors or struggles that you may be having depression are external factors. Yes. It's you. Um, And that like, well, that kind of gets at the, our biblical counseling mentor. His name's KJ. I don't know why I'm like veiling his name. His name's KJ. Um, KJ would always say, you know, God calls you to obedience regardless of your circumstance. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what else is happening around you. God still calls you to obey his word. And so, um, that is what you're subject to. Um, and so a lot of times that's kind of what a lot of biblical counseling boils down to is that idea. And that's cause it's really prevalent in our culture. Well, you know, this caused me to do that. It's like, well, no, let's, what does the Bible say? And so the Bible actually says your own evil desires that you let run rampant caused you to do that. You, your own heart caused you to do that. Maybe you might've been tempted by other things. Sure. But it was your own heart that led you to that. And I think that, well, if there's like the, the, the main, I can't, I don't know if I want to say the main, one of the main sins of our culture, uh, at least, from the modern sensibility is to be unsympathetic. Um, so if you're not kind, if you're not nice mm-hmm. uh, to others about their suffering or right. their difficulties, you know, then then you're you're an evil person. How could right. you not sympathize with me about my like victim? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you know, I, I've said this a million times, but the sad the sad and tr- and rea- and true reality of human life is the victimhood is the rule, not the, the exception. It's, it's the rule of living in a fallen world. Right. You've been victimized mm-hmm. if you've lived for any length of time. For sure. And you have been the victimizer. Yes. And so it's, it's, a, it's a really unhelpful, uh, I don't know, what's, what's the word? Like the hamster wheel we get on by, by going through these yeah. things doesn't really help us. There's no, it's a cycle that we can't get out of because mm-hmm. uh, how, how deep do you want to go down these rabbit holes of the things that have happened? Not that I don't think that there's any merit to that. Balling up all those things aren't helpful. However... Biblical counseling seems to want to be going to root causes yes. of things that you actually can control, namely your 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 own choices, right? And 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 what you believe about who God is and who you are in light of that, right? Exactly. Like being responsible for uh, like going back to that obedience part, right? Being responsible for your own obedience and not blaming other people's disobedience to God for your disobedience to God. Okay, so you said something that I think is key and I wanted to set it all up by kind of explaining that first how counseling biblical counseling and discipleship are linked right so explain that a little bit because you said hey you know kj one of your mentors was saying hey you see these things are are closely linked how yeah so biblical counseling is taking is taking god's word and applying it to your life or somebody else's life which it really is discipleship but discipleship just happens more long term, right? So discipleship is more of a relationship with, you know, your home group or your your wife, your husband. Um, it's it's that ongoing relationship where you're pointing each other to Christ, right? Um, biblical counseling you might need in a situation of like really intense loss or trauma or something, uh, you know, or something that might be really difficult to unpack. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily need specialized 
training in the sense of like, because I'm not an LPC by any stretch, right? And that's one of the first things I say when somebody sits down with me. I'm like, I am not an And explain what an LPC is. A licensed professional counselor. Yeah. And so, you know, and there's lots of other legal things that are, that go under that. So like, I want to make sure that like, I'm not an LPC, but, um, you know, I'm here to help you apply God's word to your situation. Right. So, and I think this is key. Number one, for people who think, oh man, counseling, that's really gone off the deep end or something. Right. When in reality, it's the church ministering to one another. Yes. And counseling is ultimately discipleship in a more, uh, I guess, narrowed down focus in specific times. And, And here's the thing. You don't stop applying. You don't stop doing the right. principles that you're you're gaining and, and learning and counseling right. once you get out of there. It's it's actually having someone come alongside you and say, "Hey, right, here's and a core unbelief. Here's the truth about who you are. Exactly. Here's the truth about who God is. Mm-hmm. This is what you're not believing. And exactly. then hopefully you take those tools and yep. And then the idea, the biblical counselor, if they're you know, if in my opinion, if they're doing their job right, they they're gonna eventually hand you off to some to a discipling a discipleship kind of relationship. Right. And so, um, ideally the biblical counselor is working with the elders and the home group leader, uh, within, you know, the kind of the way soul care works, right. I'm communicating as I need to with elders and as I need to with home group leaders, just to kind of keep people updated as far as like, okay, this is kind of where this person is at. you know, this, these are the kinds of questions you should be asking them, um, those kinds of things. And so then eventually that care can be handed off to the home group leader, with and without it feeling like the home group leader is like doing a big counseling burden they're just discipling like they would anybody else so obviously in the church discipleship you know discipling someone commonly used words you know we talk about it a lot at at a elder team meeting right um what do you think if you had to like say sum it up because obviously when jesus tells us to go out and make disciples in the great commission you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Right. What is discipleship in a handful of sentences, you know, and you could just kind of jump in, like, obviously we explained some of it now. Right. And where do you see that it's maybe either lacking uh, overall in the, in, in more like the church broadly? And what is, your, what is a vision that you have to say, hey, like I, I would, ideally it would be great if we could capture this about discipleship. Right. And I, I think I, I wouldn't want to put very much more on top of what Christ already called, said it was, right? So to baptize and to teach what Christ said to do. Um, which the word observe, if you go into it, right. it is what you said earlier, which is obeying right. the commandments of Christ. Exactly. And so um, uh, the way I kind of view discipleship is like that, that, and I don't, I don't particularly care for this term, but I'm going to use it, that life-on-life life discipleship, right? That, that idea that you're literally living life with other people and you're being intentional about inviting people into the daily patterns of your own life so that they can see and observe you as they see and observe Christ and help you determine whether or not you are being obedient or not. In our culture, we're, we're very individualistic, Right. So we might even be in not so much individualistic. Um, I think it's a little bit better in the church where maybe individualistic as a family unit, maybe less so as like individual people. But um, I, I think that lends itself to like you you can you can really easily put up 
like a facade of obedience or holiness or whatever you want to call it in home group at church. Whereas the other, you know, hundreds of hours you're spending at home are just chaotic and, you know, just uh, sad is what uh, is what I is the word I want to use because I like my heart hurts for those people because like I like my desire and the whole reason why I kind of wanted to be a biblical counselor is because I particularly with marriages I want marriages to flourish I want husbands to lead and 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 to help their wives to flourish and for their children to grow and be happy and for these families to love the Lord together. Um, because that's what I've experienced, and I want that for other people. And it, it really does make me sad when I hear about other families that don't have that, particularly in the church. Well, and I think some of it is not having anyone that's able to guide, like, yes. it, like a biblical counselor does. Yes. But, but this is what community prayerfully does together. Yes. Guide in understanding that if, if Christ be the Lord, this means not just a an overarching lordship uh, over all of creation, um, but also in the most minute details of your life, that it, there is applicable truth right. to your life, meaning the way in which we engage at home. And I think we know that, at least theoretically. Um, one of the troubles is stumbling into this lie that because I'm imperfect, it means that there's no effort I really need to give. Right. No, I mean, you know, you, you and I both are not applying the truths that we know every single time we're engaging at home or at work, but prayerfully we are cognizant of it. And through repentance and faith, we're growing in the image and likeness of Jesus. And and we're, we're asking ourselves, you know, the Bible actually does have a lot to say about a lot. Yes. And I think that sometimes we think, we tend to think, well, yeah, of course I got the Bible, but how is that going to help me in my job? There's a lot. There is a lot that God has to say. Right. That applies to that stuff. Exactly. And I think that's the other side of the coin, right? Is is like we have to, in order to observe and help teach others what Christ has taught, you have to know what Christ taught and really the whole counsel of the Bible, right? And so I think that's the other side of the coin is um, a lot of, a lot of, I say our churches is like Western church, not necessarily Providence Community Church. Uh, They don't, they just don't know their Bible. And so they, they don't know how to apply the Bible to their life and be, and be obedient um, just because they don't know what it says. And I think that's, that's a pretty big issue. Yeah, well, that's church. one of the reasons we started even like Providence Road because, you know, okay, we come together on Sundays, we're able to worship, hear the preached word, which yeah. is essential. It's core to, to, to what we do. Um, and then obviously we have home groups, which is, well, you mentioned, you know, the term life on life, but it's just, you know, the one and others of the gospel right. trying to live those things out. Yes. But Providence Road is there alongside mm-hmm. things like what we do with soul care uh, in order to answer those questions very simply. Well, what mm-hmm. does the Bible say? Right. You know, so that's why we have like understanding God's story, for instance, which kind of goes 12 weeks of Genesis to Revelation. Well, what, what, where if you my my prayer through that is anyone who goes to the class at the end of the day could turn somewhere in their Bible and have a feel for where they are in the grand story of the Bible yeah, and how to apply it. You know, because sure. I think one of the things people might struggle with is something like, okay, I want to start reading the Bible and, you know, I'll just open up to the middle. You're usually in Isaiah. Yeah. So now you're getting God's commentary on the middle of the story of Israel and right. their, and their apostasy. Right. So, you know, you're like, man, I got to read the gospels. This is, God's not happy, you know? Yeah, right. And so I, I, my hope and prayer through that has been, 
hey, we want to, we want to get people to have an understanding of Proverbs is a book of practical wisdom. Yes. You know, that's a great, that's a great, uh, even if you just said, hey, I want to read a proverb a day. A lot of people do that because it's 31 of them. You, yep. know, you can read it, you know, 12 times if you did it in a year. And yep. Those are great, great opportunities to say there's wisdom in, in the word of God here. They're the epistles, you know, of the New Testament, very practical. Yes. Um, but also, I don't think there's anything wrong reading the Old Testament stories. Right. The Old Testament stories have lots of practical wisdom c- coupled with spiritual wisdom. Yes. Uh, coupled with warnings that are kind of built in, uh, hey, don't do that. Right. You know? Yep. And I, I think there there's one thing that, like, all of those things are good, and I'm glad we do them. I, I, there's nothing that substitutes for, like, just somebody sitting and reading the word, right? Because I think our culture like tries to romanticize Bible reading in the sense that like, okay, if I don't sit down and read my Bible and if I don't feel God's spirit descend upon me as I'm reading, then I have failed. I have been disobedient and God has, you know, not shown his face upon me for the day. And it's like, that's that's not true at all. You know, when you read God's word, it does what it's going to do. And I always just tell people, I'm like, look, the more time you spend in the word, you're essentially marinating your soul and your heart in truth. And the more you do that, the more it will naturally come up. Uh, that's just been my experience because once I kind of got over that um, needing to be feel something every time I read. Yeah, I also think that what I have found is in, and obviously preaching and teaching, it's a it's a lot easier for this to for me to uh, recognize this. But I think it's true. It was true even when I was not a full time uh, preacher all the time. Like I was a pastor pretty young, but I didn't know I was not always the one who preached every single Sunday mm-hmm. or Wednesday at the time when I was in student ministry. Um, and that is just, just reading the word and how often you don't remember it, but the Lord brings it to remembrance. Yes. And so this is the idea of hiding the word of God in your heart. Yes. Um, just God's faithful to do that. That's, yes. that's part of, okay, so you're putting this effort in that you don't feel the the Holy Ghost goosebumps when you do it. Right. But the Spirit's faithful to bring to remembrance things to apply when right. the time comes. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay, um, one last question, then we'll be done. What are you looking forward to at Providence? What What's some things that you see in the future that you're excited about, you know, um, you know, coming up on, obviously, a vote for your eldership, but beyond that, just life of the church, life and ministry, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm just excited for what God is doing. Um, it's it's really clear. Um, just my my kind of family story. There's a lot of suffering, a lot of loss, um, but God has been very faithful throughout all of that, and um, we're kind of experiencing a little bit of that as a church. Um, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. Um, there's some loss happening too, and. I know that God brings good things from that. Uh, one of the hymns I've been trying to, to learn and to sing with my kids is um, How Firm a Foundation. And I'm not, I don't remember the verse exactly as it's written, but it talks, one of the verses talks about how God made the crucible not to destroy, but to refine. And so as God takes us through that, and I think, you know, a lot of these uh, Bible analogies are true personally. But I think they're also true for a church body, too. I think he does that with whole bodies of church members. I think that's kind of what we're going through now. We're kind of being put through a crucible. And so I'm excited to see what God does through that and um, just kind of how he uses our church and the people in it 
to to glorify him and to spread his gospel, spread his kingdom. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know how many people in uh, our church are even aware, you know, but obviously you your family went through you personally, but also by proxy, your family went through loss this summer. Yes, you know, and that's why you're kind of because you came through the same class of elders as David, but you know, mm-hmm. took a little bit of a break in the summer. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, feel free to share as much as you want about that, but you know, as as little or as much. But what if, what has the Lord been obviously teaching you over the course of the summer through suffering? Because you know, it's, it's again the rule, not the exception. Right. Uh, but it's not like we start a suffering ministry to try to make sure that it happens, but God does this good through it. You know, what's the Lord been teaching you through it? Right. Well, one of the things that I, I try not to like broadcast to other people, but like, I'm, I'm a pretty big Debbie downer in a lot of ways. I'm like depressed. I feel, I feel like I'm just depressed all the time. Like I resonate with people like Paul Washer and like, just an like, Spur- like just Spurgeon about how they're just like talking about, you know, death and melancholy, melancholy all the time. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm just kind of, always been that way um but like through through all of this um particularly in this season i think what god is is teaching me a deeper reliance upon him and what what i mean by that is is like sometimes there's just nothing you can do there's nothing left and so when there's nothing left what do you do well you pray and you sit with god and you tell tell god how you feel and um sometimes you know he'll comfort you with a, a verse or something and sometimes you just kind of sit in it but god promises that he's there we can look to christ and know that um whenever i experience suffering he has experienced suffering too and so he doesn't look at me and not understand he knows he knows what it is that i feel and i experience and then i can look and say well christ experienced it to the nth degree and look at what God did there. So I, if, if God did that through Christ, and if I am in Christ, if I have been buried with him and raised with him, then he will do that also with me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because the, the aversion that we have to suffering is very natural. And also the core of the Christian faith has Christ on the cross suffering. And right. so... We, and that Jesus was very clear with us that we would have to follow him in this path. And some of the things that we miss that you can't get any other way are, yeah. at least in my experience, one is um, when when you have mostly just charmed life with no suffering, the idea of praying the last prayer that the Bible tells us to pray, nevertheless, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you know that's that's yeah. the last you know last lines in the scriptures is yep. in the spirit let the spirit and the bridegroom say come yep um, so we we pray come Lord Jesus and I think that in the when those moments where you're like I don't have anything else you kind of gotten to the end of yourself I'm not going to keep pursuing I'm not going to keep chasing because there's nothing I can do mm-hmm. oh that's because there there always is an end yes that will need the the true King to come back yes and then also the 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 mourning the blessed are those who who mourn in the beatitudes. You know, again, I don't think this is because Christ is masochistic, but but to feel what I would consider to be a blunted edge because we have the gospel, uh-huh. all of our suffering, if you're a Christian, I think has a blunted edge to it because right. the gospel is true. We have hope. Right. But to feel it actually makes the cross to greater effect because we see, oh, sin, the sinfulness of sin and its effects really are, really are rough. Right. Um, not theoretically rough. 
you know, not like, oh, I saw some statistics online about hunger or, you know, or I felt hungry for like, I don't know, half hour, you know, like, no, there's real so the, uh, effects of sin. Yeah. The, yeah. The removal of sin is painful, right? Yes. <laughs> like the, the removal of all those desires. It's like, uh, the, the scene in the great divorce, right? The, the guy with the lizard, the angel's like, do you want me to kill it? He's like, eh, it's like humming and hawing. And finally he's like, okay, fine, kill it. And the angel strikes down this lizard and the, the guy writhes in pain and you think they're both dead. And then they both get transformed, right? It's like we're constantly living that scene over and over and over and over and over again as new and new God reveals new sin to us in his kindness, right? That we may not be held captive to it anymore. Yeah, Lewis has a great line about that. I can't, I think it's in the weight of glory, but basically he says uh, the, the world uh, demands a God that loves them. If there's going to be a God, it must be a God of love. And they get exactly that. Yep. Except that if he loves us in this way, that means that he's not content with leaving us in this way. Yes. Because of the condition that we are in, which we're blinded to. Right. And the condition that he desires for us to be in because he loves us. Right. Is a fierce love. Mm-hmm. You know, and Lewis does a great job of this. Uh, you mentioned the great divorce. Another is the, Nar- uh, and I think it's the fifth book of the Narnia series where uh, the, the the boy Eustace becomes a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. The Don Treader, right? Yes. Voyage it, of the Don Treader. Yeah. So he, he becomes a dragon uh, because he's, you know, just, Right. Really becoming, I think, in Narnia, what he always was is yes in in his other world, um, and he always tries to scrape his scales off as a dragon, but they yes. but it but it only gets the scales off, and then they regrow and gets the scales off, and yeah. then the, so he t- he tells the the lion, okay, you get them off of me, uh-huh. and when the when the nails of the lion go in, it's like he it says it appears to my very soul, and it's just so painful, and yes. then then but that was when it actually came off. Yep, and this is. You mentioned the crucible. This is what the refiner's fire. It's like the the pain seems like it could be the worst possible thing to go, go through if you hadn't have experienced what you mentioned, which is the resurrection. Right. And then it's, oh, this is the greatest thing yes. to experience, which is the freedom from that. No, I'm excited. I'm excited about those things too, both for Providence and and uh, and, and for individuals in our church. And I'm glad to hear it for you too, man. I'm, I'm glad sure. that the Lord's been doing that in you. Thanks for coming on the Provcast. I hope that people listen to this and enjoy it. I really appreciate yeah. you spending time. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Provcast. If you're interested in more info about Providence, you can check out our website at providencetx.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get all of our episodes and even our Sunday morning sermons. They're uploaded. They will be uploaded to your device if you subscribe. If you want to visit us on a Sunday morning, we have gatherings at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. every single week. We'd love to have you come and join us. Until next time, uh, share the love of God that's been shown to you, and thanks for listening.